Hello, and welcome to another episode of Playing in the Sandbox, Conversations in Pedagogy. My name is Katherine Troyer, and I am the Assistant Director of the Collaborative for Learning and Teaching here at Trinity University. Thank you so much for joining me. As always, I want to begin by explaining that the underlying principle of this podcast stemmed in the idea that the more and more I think about what separates great professors from good professors, the more I realize that the answer really is play. And for those of you who've been listening in before, you know that I don't necessarily mean playing with like Play-Doh or having a game where there are prizes, although I think there's room for all of that in the right place, in the right context, even in higher education. Instead, what I really mean when I talk about play is the inquisitiveness that causes us to ask questions and then to experiment, to fail, and to try again. And I think that we all do that as experts in our field. That's why we've devoted our life to our subject matters, because we are constantly playing, even as we're taking things very seriously. And so I think it's our job to help students discover that inquisitiveness, that curiosity that is at the heart of play. And one of the important ways that I think we can do so, and that we will explore in today's episode, is through the role of discussion. I think discussion is really important. So much so that I've actually broken it into three separate episodes. But don't worry, each episode is a standalone, and so you don't need to worry about not listening to them all or not listening to them all in order. It's just that I think discussion is so important to sparking the sense of curiosity that it really becomes something worth further unpacking. And the way I've divided up the three episodes is by focusing on what I think are perhaps the three biggest roles or functions that discussions can play in helping to create that sense of play in our classroom. The last episode was on the idea of perspectives and the fact that if we are mindful, we can produce discussions that allow for a wide range of perspectives that mirrors and reflects the diversity within our classroom. We have so many different voices and thoughts and perspectives coming into our classrooms on a daily basis, but it can be tricky to find ways to ensure that we're actually hearing from all of those different views and, and viewpoints. And so that previous episode talks about some specific ways that we might do that. Today's episode is going to focus on this idea of dialogue. The discussion is not supposed to just be people raising their hands, sharing their thoughts, and then putting their hands down, and then focusing so much on the next thing that they're going to say that they're sort of oblivious to what's happening around them. And then the last episode, next month's episode will be on thinking about discussions as a means of helping students to become co-creators of knowledge. I wanted to begin this episode by returning back to the 15 benefits of discussion that Stephen D. Brookfield and Stephen Preskill offer in their book, Discussion as a Way of Teaching. Discussion helps students explore diversity of perspectives. It increases students' awareness of and tolerance for ambiguity or complexity. It helps students recognize and investigate their assumptions. It encourages attentive, respectful listening. It develops new appreciation for continuing differences. It increases intellectual agility. It helps students become connected to a topic. It shows respect for students' voices and experiences. It helps students learn the processes and habits of democratic discourse. It affirms students as co-creators of knowledge. 
It develops the capacity for the clear communication of ideas and meaning. It develops habits of collaborative learning. It increases breadth and makes students more empathetic. It helps students develop skills of synthesis and integration. It leads to transformation. When I read that list, I was struck both by the complexity of discussion of this thing that is integral to my classroom, but that I don't know if I always spend as much time thinking about critically as I should, but also about the fact that their list, while encompassing of these many different facets of discussion, really, in my opinion, fell into the three buckets of perspectives, dialogues, and co-creators of knowledge. So for this episode on dialogues, I'm going to begin by talking about what, what, in my opinion, a dialogue is and how that works within the concept or framework of play, and then talk about some very concrete types of exercises that you can use that would help ensure that dialogue is happening in a really hopefully meaningful way. So play at its core is I think interactive. It's about first saying, huh, what is, how is, why is, and then metaphorically, or sometimes literally depending on your field, poking something and seeing what happens. And then when something happens, you respond by either poking it again or by avoiding it because you know that poking it the first time was a mistake. That's what play is, I think, at its core. And this is what dialogue can or should be at its core. But I think too often our discussions end up being, again, the sort of call and response where the professor asks a question and a student answers, and then a professor asks another question and a student answers, or even where a professor asks a question and then five different students have answers, but they really aren't interacting with each other. There's not that interactive element And without that interactive element, you really lose that critical component of curiosity and and play. So I think we have to remember that there is a difference between a class discussion that is that call and response, where that is the type of interaction that you want, and the type of discussion that should perhaps better be framed as a conversation. And I think something really simple that we could do is we could help our students to differentiate between different types of discussion. And so say, right now, I want to have a true conversation. So what does that mean? And I think that there are perhaps like five components that ensure that a discussion becomes a conversation. And I think the first one is is simply reflection. Before we start poking things, we need to be asking ourselves questions. Why is this? How is this? Um, what should I think about this? And this can happen either in written form or in silence, but I think it needs to happen sort of individually on a solo basis before we can go into the next stage, which is to talk. And talking is where we're just going to be sharing our ideas and it's where we had thoughts based on our reflections, which may have happened outside of the classroom. You could prime your students to be having the reflective components before they ever step into the room so that the moment they do, you can kind of jump into the conversation. But after that talking happens, something that's really important is is the listening stage of things. And I think faculty have learned to be active listeners. Uh, Good faculty have learned to be active listeners because they know that how you turn what could otherwise be a lecture actually into a discussion. But I don't know if students realize that listening is just as much a part of their participation grade, their uh, interaction in the class, as is they're actually sharing their thoughts. 
And after that listening stage, you really do have to have another reflection stage because you're reflecting this time not on what you want to say, but on what has been said, on what the students are thinking, the ideas that they're kind of putting forth. And, and this is a really critical component because it allows for what is then going to be the ultimate component of a dialogue, and that is the response stage. And this is, of course, where you are critically responding to the thoughts and ideas of others. Your curiosity has been sparked. You've articulated something. You've listened to something. Now you're reframing your world, and maybe you're reframing it to make it stronger from what it was originally, so that you're just augmenting what you already believed or thought or knew. Or it could be that you were completely having your ideas challenged, but either way, you're responding to that in a very active way. So how do you ensure that your class discussion is going to become a dialogue? What can you do to help your students understand that reflecting is as important as talking and that listening is just as important as responding? There are fortunately some really practical ways that you can approach class discussion that will help create or promote an environment where dialogue is the purpose and the goal. I'm going to be drawing primarily from three texts, and each author or authors have their own sort of things that they are particularly partial to, but a lot of what they're talking about appear in all three, and so I recommend all three texts as a really great place to find some practical ways to help a discussion become a dialogue. And so the three books that I'm going to be drawing from, one of them I've already mentioned, Discussion is a Way of Teaching by Stephen D. Brookfield and Stephen Preskill. Another book, which is also by Stephen D. Brookfield, because he's sort of the guru of course discussion and of getting students to think critically through discourse, is entitled Teaching for Critical Thinking. And then a separate book, not by Stephen, is by J.R. Howard, and it is called Discussion in the College Classroom. So here are some actual just sort of practical ways that you can help build or foster dialogue or conversation through your class discussions. One option would be to do something called chalk talk, which sounds a little antiquated because most classrooms don't really rely on blackboards. But it doesn't matter if it would be a blackboard or a whiteboard, but it really should be a board physically in the room. It shouldn't be something that's done electronically because what happens is, is you write a question on the board and then you allow people time and access to chalk or to markers to come up when the spirit so moves them when they've had a thought that they can write in relationship to the question. And what's interesting about this activity is that it is going to have a real ebb and flow. There's going to be periods where everyone sort of is rushing to use a marker and then periods where people are just pondering. And what's nice about that is that that mimics the actual ebb and flow of a conversation. When everyone has comments on there, one of the advantages is, is that unlike a conversation that is just oral, where you can really only remember a few comments back, you can see everyone's comments and you can start making connections to things that were said early on and things that were said more recently because it's all on there at the same time. And what works best for this activity is to have a facilitator whose job it is, is to connect some of those dots literally by connecting lines or by writing a question between things or circling things with a similar color. And there's no reason that facilitator cannot be a student. And this could be a rotating uh, job where different students have to serve as facilitator. So they're really reflecting and responding to the conversation at large. 
Another option is something known as circle of voices. And I think it's called that for a couple of reasons. One, it tends to be more of a small group, sort of four to six, because uh, it should form an actual circle so that people are looking at each other. And after the prompt has been given, you need to allow them to have several minutes of silence where they are not allowed to talk yet. They can only be reflecting on the prompt. Then each person has one minute or two minutes or however long you decide to talk. But during that period, no one else can ask any questions or interrupt or insert anything. It's that person's moment to be in the spotlight. Then build in another sort of couple of minutes for reflective silence so that people can be pondering what was said. And after that, you can have that response component where people are talking about what has been said. And so this is sort of forcing them to go through those stages of dialogue. A similar activity that also has a sort of circular emphasis um, is the circular response. And what's nice about this is that it's going to ensure that people are hearing at least the previous comment. And so a person speaks again for a specific amount of time and no one else should be speaking at that time. And then they can determine if a person to the left or to the right of them or a random person, you can kind of choose how to do it, goes next. But whoever goes next has to use what the previous person said as a springboard for what they are going to say. And it could be that they are in agreement. It could be that they found something really interesting that they want to spin off. It could be that they're going to say, I kind of disagree with that and here's why. But they are absolutely required to respond to the ideas of the person previous. And again, it kind of works nicely when you're in a circle because you have that ability to be looking at each other and to simulate that sense of conversation. And this is one of the ways that I think some classrooms are less set up to allow for true conversation. That matrix form of desks where we have rows and columns rarely allows for us to have, you know, the ability to look someone else in the eye, which is such a critical component of conversation. So if you can build that in where physically you're mimicking the space of a conversation as it would happen in the wild, um, the more likely you are to, to have a conversation in the classroom. You could also find ways to have people be thinking a little bit more tangentially or outside the box about a subject. So instead of everyone focusing on a fact or an idea, you can instead have everyone think of a concrete image, scene, event, or moment from the text that stands out. And then they have to share and make connections between them. And so sometimes having a conversation is about ensuring that students are not coming with just the things that they were planning on saying from the beginning and who cares what anyone else has to say. Um, one of the ways to ensure that you have a conversation is by giving them a prompt that is gonna sort of be unexpected so that they're having to take more time to reflect and to listen to others. Another way is to just mimic the sort of basic foundational things that we do every day when we have real life conversations outside the classrooms. And this means a couple of things. If it's a small enough class, it means that it shouldn't just be you learning your students' names. It should be the students learning each other's names. And so there are tent cards or name tags or something that you can do and to help people learn people's names because not everyone has access to a roster. Actually paying attention and not just appearing to pay attention. And this means taking notes, not having an electronic device in front of you the entire time. 
actively listening and, and replying to things. All of us have conversations every day and all of us know when conversations are good versus when they are just not so great. That whole like, how are you doing? And then you're like, well, I'm really struggling. And they're like, great, see you later, right? We know the difference between that type of conversation versus when we're like, you know who I had a really good talk with the other day? Right. We want that that ladder. We want students to say, you know, when I had a really good talk was in my class with my fellow classmates. And so you could have the class build together. What are the conversational moves that we want to mimic in our class discussion? The next three ways are all really about listening. And I think that listening is where we often lose sight or lose focus of discussion becoming a conversation or dialogue versus just a discussion. And so there are three different things that you could do. You could have a designated listener. And again, this would be a rotating position. And their job is to perhaps take notes or their job is to interrupt the quote conversation, to interrupt all the talkers every few minutes and say, hey, one of the things I noticed was that Bob said this and Sally said this. What might we do with this information? Another twist on this sort of designated listener would be a designated facilitator. So just as we facilitate conversation by saying interesting, and how does this relate? Have the students do it. Have them discover how to craft a conversation because it's a really difficult skill. Tied to this would be something like paired listening, where you are actually forcing someone for a period of time to engage in all of the most active listening skills possible, constant eye contact, affirmative noises, questions when necessary, and just have them practice that skill because listening is a skill set like anything else. And then one of the most interesting, I think, exercises that we can think about incorporating is this idea of hearing the subject. So Parker Palmer wrote about the fact that there are really three presences or three points of view in any given classroom. There's the teacher's point of view, there's the student's point of view, but then there's also the subject. Um, and that might be the text or that might be um, the content, but the subject has its own ideas or thoughts that it's trying to communicate. And sometimes that can get muddied um, or sort of lost underneath the voices of the teacher and the student. And so one of the ways that we can have meaningful dialogues is by remembering that we are and always should be dialoguing with the text that we should be looking at. And that doesn't matter if it's a literary text or if it's a textbook. We should always be engaging in this dialogue of here's what I think. What do you have to say textbook? What do you have to say text? And then we listened carefully to what is actually being communicated and then we respond to that. And so there are ways that you can do that. There are activities that you can build in that really help students to pay attention to not their assumptions, to not their perspectives on something, but what the text is saying itself, that sort of basic level of synthesis. So these are just a few ways that we can engage in dialogue. These are just a few ways that we can be ensuring that when we are having class discussions, what we are really having are class conversations where, yes, we are talking, but just as importantly, we are listening, we are reflecting, and we are responding. The next episode is going to be on co-creators of knowledge and this idea that we can use discussion to help students actually take ownership of knowledge, to build that knowledge, to understand nuances of the information that they're receiving, because we don't want them to simply play when we tell them to play. We don't want them to simply be curious when we want them to be curious. We want them to be proactively curious, to proactively engage in play. And I think discussion can be a really powerful way to do so. 
Thank you so much for joining me as always. And I look forward to our next conversation in pedagogy.